Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. The rest of this liturgical year, we will be dealing with the gospel according to St. Matthew. And as we deal with these texts, I will keep reminding you that it's not fair to mesh Matthew with the other three gospels. We should be content to let Mark tell this story the way he believes it should have been told. Luke, John, and in this case, Matthew, tell this story as he believes it ought to be told. When we look at the Easter Sunday story, you may recall that Mark says the women came to the tomb and they saw the stone rolled away, the body of our Lord not there. They were frightened and they ran away telling no one. The end. John has several different stories about what happened that first Sunday of the resurrection. He tells us not only that the women had gone to the tomb, but in fact they did go and tell the disciples what they had seen and heard, and that John and Peter ran to the tomb, and they too found it empty, and they knew that he had been raised. That same evening, Jesus appeared among them, but Thomas was not with them. A week later, Jesus appeared to them in that same upper room, Thomas with them this time. You remember? Luke says, well, let me tell you what happened. The women did in fact go and tell the disciples. And they listen carefully to these stories about the stone having been rolled away and the body no longer there. That same evening, there were two on the road to Emmaus when suddenly they were joined by another. And you remember that in the breaking of the bread and so on, they realized he was Jesus. But those are not Matthew's way of telling the story. We are dealing this year with Matthew. Let's listen faithfully to the way he thinks the story should have been told. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, when the enemy came to arrest him, the disciples fled, for they were afraid. He goes through the description of what happened the next day, none of the disciples present. He then tells that on Sunday morning, there were two women who went to the tomb. They saw the stone rolled away by an angel of the Lord. They saw that Jesus' body was no longer there. And this angel of the Lord said to them, I know the one you're looking for. He is not here. He has been raised. And you are to go and tell my brothers, the disciples, uh, that I will meet them in Galilee. And as they started away, Jesus himself appeared to them, the women. The next time we see the disciples, after that Thursday evening, at Gethsemane, on the Mount of Olives, is when they arrive in Galilee. We've not seen them. We have heard nothing of them. Matthew implies that, in fact, the women did go and tell them, and so they've done what they were told to do, that they'd come to some measure of faith that, in fact, the one who was crucified has been raised and that he's going to meet them when they get to Galilee. So they've walked that 80 miles again to Capernaum in the hills immediately north of it, 
And we come to today's text. First time they've seen Jesus since that Thursday night in the garden. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, Matthew writes. Now this word for worshipped is a word we've seen early on in this gospel. It's Matthew who gave us the story of the Magi, astrologers from the east who saw something strange and unusual in the heavens, who followed the light of that star to Jerusalem and eventually to a little village five miles away called Bethlehem. And when they saw Mary and the child, they paid homage to him. They fell down on their knees. They worshipped him and offered to him the best they had, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Same word here. When they saw Jesus, they paid homage. Uh, They fell on their knees, if you would. They worshipped him. And this word worship in English comes from worship. A determination of what has greatest worth. When Gail and I returned from our vacation, we went to a theater downtown, and we could see before dark that evening the new arena. Much work had been done while we were gone. It's really taking shape now. You can see it. And I remembered when I saw the scale rendering of that arena. Cesar Paley himself was here. And because I've been on the board of Downtown Tulsa Unlimited for many years, I was invited to this unveiling. And so we saw the scale model. Now, to what scale? A sixteenth of an inch representing one foot or a sixteenth of an inch representing a yard? I'm not sure exactly what the scale was, but it would have fit on the top of the piano there. And now it's huge, of course. It's so big, rising up out of the ground. When Gail and I were in the museums a few weeks ago in England, I was remembering when we took our children to museums, both abroad and in our own country. When we were in Houston, those nine years as our three children came along, they loved the zoo and they loved the museum. And in the museum out near Herman Park, uh, in that big area, there also are museums. And one of the things in the museum was a rendering of the solar system. Uh, Sun in the middle and uh, then each of the planets in representative size. Those that had moons had little moons around them. The one with the rings, Saturn had rings around it and so on. But you and I cannot render the universe in a scale model. It simply is too big. Let me illustrate. If you were to let a golf ball represent the Earth, which is 25,000 miles around at its equator, 25,000 miles around, represented by a golf ball, the nearest star beyond our sun would be 50,000 miles away. And that rather minuscule little star is dwarfed by the billions and billions of stars. Billions of them. Yet, Matthew dares write that the God who could fling that many bodies into the heavens sent his son to visit the planet earth that Mary's child Jesus gave us the clearest picture of that creator that humankind has ever had number two but some doubted Matthew writes 
Those are his words, not Jesus' words. But some doubted. Now, this word he uses for doubt here is found only one other time in all of the New Testament. There is another word for doubt that's used. Thomas doubted. Unless I see that gash in his side, unless I see those marks in his hands and feet, unless I touch him, I will not believe. And we call him doubting Thomas, but that's a different Greek word from the one Matthew uses here. Matthew uses one word two times, and they are the only two times this word is used in the 27 books of the New Testament. That other occasion was up at the Sea of Galilee. The disciples have started across that lake. A sudden storm has come up. They are frightened to death, think they are going to die, when suddenly they see Jesus coming to them, walking on the water. And Simon Peter said, Lord, let me come to you. And Jesus said, all right. Simon got out of the boat and started walking. And then Matthew says, when suddenly Simon was aware of the wind, and the rain, and he was frightened and began to sink. And the Lord reached out and lifted him out of the water, helped him get back into the boat. They're right at land by this time. And Jesus said, Why did you doubt, O you of little faith? Same word here. Those who saw him and worshipped him also had some doubts. And I think Matthew is saying that even after the resurrection, people did not have a perfect faith. Some days it's easy to believe. Other days, dark nights, difficult times, it's more difficult to believe. And yet Matthew is saying to those who read this account, even you who do not have a perfect faith, even you who sometimes waver, even you who may not have nearly as much faith as the Lord wishes you and I would have, to us is entrusted this great commission. What God wants done now on the planet Earth, he's entrusting to you and me, working under his guidance and direction. June Bacher lives out in Southern California, and she's written about going to an outdoor theater in San Diego where she and her husband were going to see the unsinkable Molly Brown. I'm sure you've seen that show at some time or other. Lots of singing, lots of dancing. Uh, great story based loosely on a woman who did, in fact, live in Colorado uh, in rough gold mining days and so on. Unsinkable Molly Brown. She said, we're really looking forward to it, and the play had barely begun when right overhead came a jet plane flying into Lindbergh Field. It was so loud, you couldn't hear anything but that plane. And I looked up to see if I could see the lights on the ends of its wings. And when I looked back at the stage, I realized that every person on stage had frozen in place. And when the noise from the plane died away, they all began to move and sing and dance again. And several times during the performance, she said, another plane approaching Lindbergh Field, drowning out everything, and the actors, anticipating, stopped, dead still. And when the sound had gone away,
picked up right where they had been before. June writes, I learned something that night, that when doubt and little faith begin to drown out the faith I have, I need to be really still and wait for His reassuring presence, that indwelling Holy Spirit, and then perhaps I can sing, I can dance, I can go on again. Number three. One scholar says this next important part should be translated, as you go, and here Matthew takes a noun, disciple, and makes it a verb, disciple them, he says, the ethne, the ethnics. Now I remind you that in ancient times, sadly sometimes in our own, people see themselves and all the rest of the world. In ancient times, if you were not a Greek, to a Greek, you were a barbarian. There was only two choices you had. You could be a Greek, you could be a barbarian. You could be a Jew, or you could be a Gentile. And in this case, the ethnics mean all the rest of the world except the Jews. The Jews have had a long-standing covenant with God. By the time Jesus came... 1,800 years they had had covenant with the one true God. Rabbi Greenberg, who spoke a few weeks ago at the University of Tulsa, said again, I'm convinced that after 1,800 years of struggling, we Jews had lost some of our energy and fire trying to tell the world, there's only one God, and this is the way He wants you to behave. And that God infused the mission with Gentile blood energy and enthusiasm. You and me. To us came the mission. Even when we doubt, even when we have too little faith, He put it in our hands, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. Now, Matthew understands that when new people hear this gospel, they're going to tend to hear the parts they like. I mean, Jesus, in Matthew's Gospel, gave us the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. These were common folk, very poor folk by and large. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do people light candles and put them under bushels. No, on candlesticks, so that they give light to all that are in the house. You are the salt of the earth. Greater things than these shall you do after I go to my Father. Those parts we love. But teach them everything I've commanded you. If you would follow me, deny yourself, which means take self out of center and put God as revealed to us in Christ Jesus in the center take self out of center and put the other in the center. Make yourself willing to put yourself out for the well-being of the other. Neighbor comes to us from a German word, Negabur, the one nearest you. Start with the one nearest you. That'll work. You can move farther and farther in time, but start with the one nearest you. 
if you put yourself out for the well-being of another. That's what it means to take up one's cross. That is, crucifer, Christophora, the Christ-bearer. We bear Christ into the world when we put God, as revealed to us in Christ, in the center. When we put the other in center and move self out of center. And if we don't do that, then the kingdom eludes us. That's what the kingdom is all about. Teach them to obey everything I've told you. Drew Duke tells a story of a great orchestra who was scheduled to play a very difficult work on a Saturday night. And they had the last dress rehearsal late Friday. Everyone was a little anxious, apprehensive. This was a very difficult work being performed for the first time in many years in that city. They were all set to go. The conductor walked in, tapped the metal stand with the baton lightly, and lifted his arms, and they got underway. But after only three or four measures, he motioned for everyone to stop and said, I'm missing something. Where is the piccolo? And she said, all eyes turned to an empty chair. And just as they looked at that empty chair, someone came running in from the wings, the one with the little piccolo in his hands. And he was trying to mutter something about, I'm so sorry, sir, I'm so... He just motioned for him to sit and then began to move his arms again in the great orchestra played. And Drew says, the piccolo was the smallest instrument in that room. There were far bigger instruments that could make far bigger sounds. But the maestro missed the piccolo. He missed it and did not intend to go on without it. Our God says, there's a child of mine down in Africa who's not a part of the kingdom. There's a son of mine down in South America who has not been told about my grace nor seen it lived out in his presence. There's a child of mine in Asia. There's a child of mine. There's a child of mine. Do you understand? There's a child of mine. I'm missing. I'm counting on you to help that child of mine hear the good news that I, who created everything that is, so loved the world that I've given son Jesus to show you how far my love will go. Number four. Here again in our translation, and it's the best we have according to our Methodist church. This new Revised Standard Version is the best in both accuracy and readability, but they've left out that magic word again that I've told you about. Hidu. Behold. They just think Matthew used it too many times. And so they leave it out in a lot of places, but it's there. Behold, you do, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And Dr. Raymond Brown says, Matthew thought the end of the age was not far away. He was wrong. We've been 2,000 years and have not come to the end of the age, except one at a time. How many people have died in 2,000 years who came to the end of the age? For them, the end. Did they know that every step of the way God was with them? 
God said to an old man with an old wife, childless, if you'll roll up your bed and pack up your tent and come with me, I'll give you a baby. And this baby will found a new nation. I will be with you. He said to Isaac and Rebekah, I will be with you. He said to Jacob and Esau, I will be with you. And when our Lord Jesus came, if in fact he was representing and revealing, was in flesh this almighty God, then his words take on power. I'm still with you. As I was with Abram and Sarah, so I am with you. I will be with you to the end of the age. ABC Network and lots of Americans were very sad when Peter Jennings died. After Courageous battled with cancer, he died. And ABC started looking for a new anchor, decided to go with co-anchors, and one of those was Bob Woodruff. Bob had already been to Iraq four times since the war had begun, but after he was named co-anchor of ABC News, he went with new prestige, of course, with a full camera crew. They were put into a tank and were moving across Iraq when they rolled across one of those horrible hidden bombs. Bob's wife got a call that Bob had been critically injured, that he had been rushed to the nearest immediate uh, surgical facility there in Iraq and now was being airlifted to Germany where they had better facilities, that they would see to it, ABC would, that she get to Germany as fast as she was ready to go and she flew as quickly as she could. It was even worse than she thought when she first saw him. About half his skull had been removed because his brain had been swelling so rapidly. Had it pressed so hard against the skull, he would have lost so much of the function of his brain. That's the way she first saw him. But through months and months and operations and operations, Bob has done quite well and recently was being interviewed. He was asked about the war. He was asked about this terrible thing that happened to him. But in an interview in Guidepost magazine, he and his wife talked about their faith. And Bob Woodrum said, you've often heard that you don't hear the gunshot that hits you. You don't hear the bomb that explodes under you. And he said, that was true for me. I don't remember hearing anything. But what I do remember is that in an instant, I started moving away from my own body. I have this image in my mind of my own body being lifted up, blown up and then falling back into the very bottom of that tank. I came to spitting blood. Somebody had put the biggest piece of material they could find down onto my head trying to stop some of the bleeding. But I had had an experience. I had been drawn toward this warm light. I tell you, it was a, it was a warm light that drew me. I felt no pain. I felt no fear. I felt drawn, called, invited, welcomed. And then I came to in that tank. But I tell you, I believe I visited heaven. And if you have any doubts that that's what I visited, I can only tell you this. I have not been afraid of dying a single time since.